Hello, today's podcast is brought to you by Gearsource.com, the only global marketplace dedicated to professional production gear. With people strategically located throughout North America, Europe, and Asia, Gearsource has created a marketplace that helps you find a home for your surplus gear, whether that's just up the road or on the other side of the world. Our new state-of-the-art payment system helps to eliminate fraud, but also makes payments easy in whatever currency you or your buyer may prefer. And if you're looking to add to your arsenal of quality production gear, why not save some money and buy with confidence on Gearsource.com? So go ahead, try it. Buy or list something for sale for free today. Well, hello there, and thanks for joining me today on Geezers of Gear, and honestly, I don't remember what episode we're on right now. We are on episode 130, 130, wow. So, um, I don't really have anything to talk to you about right at this very moment. I have a great guest coming on today, a good friend of mine and a very interesting guest, and I guess that he'll probably have a bunch to say as he usually does for those of you who know Patrick Whalen. Um, so that's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, in general, here we are, we're still in friggin' COVID week, whatever it is, 49, 51, whatever the hell it is. It, I guess it's probably almost exactly a year ago since most, uh, shows were starting to pull back. Um, since we were starting to get this news that tours were coming off the road, since, um, I don't know, most of our lives changed, uh, some forever. You know, some people I talk to, they'll never come back from this. Others uh, have pivoted. Others are going to find ways to sustain their business while they get through it. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a year. It's been a bad, bad year for some people. For me, it's uh, actually been a very interesting year. Uh, in some ways, it's been a great year. I've evolved uh, my business uh, both of my businesses really. And, um, I wouldn't say I've pivoted, but I've definitely evolved and changed my businesses to make them not only more sustainable through this pandemic, but to be better businesses as we come out of the pandemic. So, um, I'm pretty excited about where things are going, but yeah, it hasn't been easy. You know, we've definitely had to cut back staff just like everybody else. And I've had to change some things just like everybody else. And, I've had to live on no income, just like most people. And uh, so, you know, from that standpoint, it hasn't been exciting, but um, certainly I'm lucky. And and I just had this conversation with uh, Nils from Vergero, Nils from Flying Pig Systems, Nils, everyone knows Nils. Uh, but I just had this conversation where, you know, I think I'm so much more fortunate than a lot of other people who are really struggling to sustain their businesses or they have massive bank lines that are now uh, breathing down their neck and banks are being nasty right now. Banks just are not your friend. And uh, it's terrible because, you know, uh, a friend of mine used to say that banks sell umbrellas on sunny days 
and uh, or they give away umbrellas on sunny days and then they have none <laughs> when it's raining or they want it back. They gave you an umbrella last week and this week it's pouring rain and they want their umbrella back, damn it. And uh, yeah, it's just unfortunate that it's like that because I know people who are in their 60s who are losing their businesses and uh, it's just not fun to watch and it's not fun to be a part of. So yeah. Uh, and, you know, the other thing is I've, I've been spending a lot of time talking with manufacturers, which, um, you know, manufacturers, I think in some ways have it worse than, than everyone does, you know, in some ways manufacturers are going to take longer to come back. Uh, all the largest companies who are dealing with, uh, CapEx are not going to have CapEx for at least 2021, probably 2022, and that's a problem for a lot of these manufacturers. But most of the people I'm talking to are not, I won't call it pivoting, but again, they're evolving their businesses. They're changing their businesses to be more viable and, and vital, uh, not only after the pandemic, but during the pandemic. And so, um, you know, some, some great innovation is still taking place. And, you know, one that, that, uh, I just saw come out over the past few weeks is the diamond nine from, from our friends over at AVO. And I've been talking with Steve Warren about that and I don't know anything about consoles, so I'm not going to try and profess to tell you that it's a great or a terrible console. I'm sure it's pretty good. Um, but you know, that's, that's hugely brave. I mean, that just takes so much courage and so much entrepreneurial courage and strength to come out with a new product like that during a time like this. It's very expensive to develop software-based products like a, a lighting console. You know, it might be, I don't know, five or six or $7,000 in, in hardware, but, uh, or 10, I don't know what the number is. I don't know what it costs them to build from a hardware standpoint, but you know, people say, why is a console $50,000? And it's because, I mean, try writing that much code and that much software to go into a console like that and get it to market and then support it and update it and all of the things that you need to do to be a console manufacturer. I mean, I am certainly not envious of those people, especially not right now when you're not being paid for a lot of that uh, product development and stuff. So I, I love the courage that it takes to come out with something like that. I just saw Martin uh, has been teasing a March date. I think it's March 17th where they're going to be unleashing something new and exciting on the world. And uh, I'm, I'm, pretty confident it actually is going to be something relatively new and exciting. Uh, I've been hearing good things from people who uh, have gotten sneak previews and stuff. And uh, so we'll see, you know, I think Martin's, uh, you know, been counted as, as dead by a lot of people. And I've always believed that Martin was not only going to survive this mess, but was going to thrive and come out the other end, uh, possibly even a better company than they were going into it. So we'll see. And, uh, you know, I wish everybody well. I, I've been in the manufacturing side of the business for a long time. I know a lot of these people. I'm very good friends with people at Roby and Elation and Act and uh, Clay Packy and Martin and High End and all the companies. And uh, I want everybody not only to survive, but I want you to be able to kick ass on the other side of this thing. And so uh, I'm doing my part. I'm going to continue doing my part. I've actually got some major announcements to make in the near future. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, so, yeah, that's really all I have to say today. Not anything too crazy. Um, and I would like to go ahead and uh, 
bring on a, a good friend of mine, as I said earlier, Patrick Whalen is a guy that uh, I've known for a number of years. He's done lots and lots of things. He's a guy that most people in the industry know, some love, some don't, uh, which just means you're probably doing something right. And uh, so he, his main company, I believe, is called Backstage Productions. Then he's got uh, Backstage Aerials and a bunch of other backstage things. Um, and he also has been a critical uh, leader in the We Make Events push that we've had. Um, so anyways, let me go ahead and bring on Patrick and have a nice chat with him. Mr. Whalen, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. That's cool. Uh, it, I, I, I've been wanting to get you back on the podcast for a long time just to shoot the shit, like not to say, hey, Patrick, where did you get started? How, you know, how did you begin and what did you do? I, I just love to actually get people on for a second or third time and just communicate, just talk to people and, and talk about what's going on. Talk about other people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you and I are good at talking about other people. You know, we both have uh, been known to do that from time to time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We both have friends and enemies, I guess, in the industry. Uh, and that's okay. That's not a bad thing. You don't have to love everybody. I try to, you know, I have to because of what my business is. So, but you know, the other thing I actually wanted to talk to you about was, was just, you know, what's going on with your business and stuff. And, and so I want to make sure we get to that. So if I forget, just nudge me at some point down the road here and we'll come back in between the lines. Great. I will do that. Uh, yeah. Make, I'm making notes right now as we speak. Uh-oh. Well, I made notes before the call. I'm a little more organized apparently. So, so what, uh, on a personal level, other than, uh, I know you're a big sailor, right? You love to sail back and forth over to, uh, Catalina. I do. Have you been doing that still? You know, um, I've actually been since the pandemic started, we're coming up on a year, I guess in a couple of weeks. I, I've been to Catalina more times in the last eight months than I have in the last five years. Really? So, yes. Good for you. So it's a sailboat though, right? It's not a powerboat. Yeah, it's a sailboat. Um, and, and I think it's, uh, you know, in this crazy life, it's kind of the one thing that really grounds me because you absolutely cannot be in a rush and, and eventually you're going to lose cell service out in the middle of the ocean. And so, yeah, um, I know I've tried to call you. Yeah. <laughs> It's, but it, it, it's kind of nice. Like, you know, if you can't travel, you know, just to get away from everything for a little bit and, and, yeah. you know, you don't have to worry about the pandemic because to my knowledge, dolphins and seals don't have coronavirus. Although I'm sure somebody will argue that point with me. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Point, no, you know, you're right about that though. Like I remember when I first moved to South Florida and I had a very stressful job working for Martin and, um, I, I remember I bought my first boat and it was the very first time in my life when I just sat on that boat and just went, ah, you know, it was just like complete de-stressor for me. You know, it, it, it was like, and you couldn't focus on other things. You had to kind of be focused on what you were doing, but you could have yep. a Corona in your hand and some Jimmy Buffett playing on the, on the stereo and but and still be focused on the safe safe operation and not sinking and dying and crashing into other boats or pilings or whatever right but i don't know it was the first thing i did where i was just like this is it for me this is where i can relax finally i found something yeah i mean i i think you know your brain kind of tunes everything else out in the world because once again you don't have all the the distractions and i mean yeah. i i two years ago 
I wanted to challenge myself and, and see if I could sail around the whole entire island of Catalina without stopping. And it took me about 30 hours to do it because we had some, or I had some slow winds, but you know, just that was just a mental challenge beyond belief because you're dodging container ships and, and oil tankers all night long. Yeah. Once you get on the backside of Catalina, you're in open ocean. Plus you have a military base that you have to be careful of not getting too close to on San Clemente. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, and you only can sleep for at night, you sleep for 20 minutes and then you're up for 20 minutes kind of doing a check and that's how you, you sail all night long. And so your brain starts really, you know, by four o'clock in the morning, you, and if there's any kind of waves or surf or, you know, a little bit more wind, your brain just kind of completely messes with you. Cause you can't see anything. The boat's going Jeez. up and down. You can't see when the next wave is. And it's, that's crazy. it was a great challenge. Yeah. That's wild. So you're doing that by yourself. Yeah. Wow. You're going to sleep on a sailboat that's moving by yourself. Yeah. You, you wear a harness and you clip in and you, you sleep on the bench or if you, if, if it's, you know, there was a little bit of time when it was cold out. So I went in the, in the salon and, or the saloon, sorry, and, uh, and clipped in and, and just, uh, you know, took a nap on the couch for 20 minutes and came up, checked all my, you know, areas and checked my heading and made sure everything was good. And, but yeah, um, it's, it, it's crazy though, because you can only see about five feet in front of the boat and that's it. And then, you know, you're constantly scanning the horizon because even with radar, you know, there's, there's times where there's a fishing boat that they fish with their lights off. So their, their right. other, you know, fishing boats can't see them. Yeah. And so you, you've got to be really careful, especially on, you know, being 60 or 70 miles off the coast of, of Los Angeles. There's yeah. tons of operations. There's, you know, barges and all kinds of crap floating around there. So, right. um, yeah, it, it was, it was really challenging and, and very exciting. And, uh, I'll do it probably again this year. Um, but yeah, yeah you got to mentally prepare for it. Oh, I guess that sounds crazy. Yeah, I used to uh, I used to shoot down to the Keys all the time uh, in my boats, and I loved doing it at night. And again, you kind of had to be on your game because when you're going to the Keys, it's different problems. You know, you don't have the big ships and stuff, but you could run aground very easily if you go outside of a channel, and so you're really constantly just. And I love doing it without a GPS too. Like I liked, oh my God. I liked just looking for channel markers with the light off the front of the boat, oh. you know? So I'd scan the, I'd scan the horizon with my light, looking for the reflective sign on one of the channel markers and go, okay, there's the red one. Where's the green one? You know, oh, there's the green one. I need to be over there a little bit, you know? And it was always fun. And yeah, every once in a while you'd run aground. I think I did it two or three times uh, in all my days going down to the Keys. And sometimes it was, you know, when you were going out at night, from the marina just to watch a sunset or something and uh you just went into a little bit too shallow water the tides out or whatever and yep. and uh next thing you know you're sitting on the beach so yeah uh, it's it's i you know i've got friends that sail in florida and it's yeah. way different animal because you know sailboat you get stuck on one of those sandbars and you got a whole nother problem oh yeah you know? yeah because uh, well, the keel just buries in yeah yeah no, I've, I've seen many of those beached and sometimes you just wait until the tide comes in and you're back in the water. Right. But yeah, sometimes it's worse than that. I actually had to get, uh, so this was interesting and it pissed me off to no end. So I was in a very bad storm. The first time I was ever in like one of those just treacherous, uh, Florida summer 
thunder lightning storms, right? Massive lightning, like these air to ground lightning bolts every few seconds. It was scary as hell. And I was racing the storm. It was a pretty small but vicious cell. And I was racing to the inlet thinking, we can get there, we can get there. And it was me, my ex-wife, her sister, and, and her husband. And we were, they were like, they were drinking. So they were like, ah, you can't make it. Let's just go At for it. At least they weren't sober because it would have been a whole different animal. So <laughs> all of a sudden, we're in the middle of this storm, right? And we're probably only an eighth of a mile from the inlet, but you couldn't see, you couldn't, and there's lightning striking all around us. Oh and my. I, you know, I'm a pretty safe boater and I took all the, the Coast Guard classes and stuff, but I didn't know what to do. And so I had a, I don't remember which boat it was, but it was probably a 30 foot like cabin cruiser. And I just mm-hmm. pointed it at the beach and just <laughs> hit the gas and went into the beach. You, oh wow. I beached it on purpose. And, uh, and then just set everybody in the cabin basically. And we waited it out. So then, you know, I figured I'd just turn on the engines and back right off the beach again. Right. But no, <laughs> I was a little well, more beach than drilled that. up the shore. Yeah, I did. I did. So, um, I'm like, oh, that's okay. I'll just call Seato. They'll just scoot right outside the, the inlet here. And we're right there. And they always sit in the inlet because of all the cruise ships and stuff. So, um, so I call them, they come out and they didn't even get off their boat. They just sent like a, a floating buoy thing, a ball, a floating ball with a rope attached to it and said, just hook that onto your boat. I hooked it on my boat. They just gave me a little tug. That was it. Like a little, you know, yep. <laughs> just to yank me off the beach. And I was floating and they said, we'll see you in the turning basin inside the inlet. So I go into the turning basin. I go to the Seato guy and, you know, on the outside, what could that little tug have cost me? I, I would say it's probably 200 bucks. That's like robbery, right? 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. It was $900. So here's why. Here's why. Because when you're beached, if, if, you're, if you've run aground in any way, they consider it a salvage by maritime law. Ugh. And in a salvage situation... They are allowed to charge you whatever the hell they want. They just make up a price. It don't matter. And you have to pay it. And uh, so <laughs> I, I paid it. I fought. I complained. I went to American Express and complained to them. I complained. So I actually wrote an article to Boating Magazine, and it got published about how much of a crook Seto was and how this law needed to be changed. It took them 30 seconds to, to give me a little tug off the beach. It should have been 50 bucks, you know, and it, yeah, it was $900. Oh, so did anything ever change after that? I have no idea. I, I would have never called Seto again after that. So, and so that's, I, I have, I have one story that's probably similar to that, but it was my own fault and my own stupidity. I, uh, solo sailed out on a Monday afternoon. I was going to go have a cigar and I had my subway sandwich and I was going to do a little work and I knew it was a red flag warning. So the winds were over 15 knots and which I was excited about. I wanted to go in a high sail and I was so excited that I took the bow lines and kind of just wrapped them around the, the uh, safety line and then took off and, you know, kind of pulled it through like, you know, you would um, for stage ropes yeah, so I don't, I don't know how any of that shit works. I just hit the throttle and go. Yeah. So I, so I have all, so basically I have, I have a rope hooked on the, the bow cleat and I have it wrapped around the railing okay. and, and I'm, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go sail and I'm in a rush and didn't take the rope off. 
So about 10 minutes into my sale, I, I get my Subway sandwich open and I have it in my backhand and I'm sitting on the very uh, back seat of the, 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 or the stern, driving the boat with the wheel and then put it on autopilot and I get my sandwich, I get ready to take a bite and the boat goes up about 15 feet and then drops down a wave and it goes underneath the wave and the biggest wall of water I've ever seen in my life comes and just blasts me in the face, Holy knocks the sandwich shit. out of my mouth, fills the boat full of water. And I'm like, oh crap. So I'm like, I probably should uh, reef the sails now and, and, you know, and bring them in and power in and go back into the marina. So I start bringing the sails in, turn the engine on, I put it in gear and all of a sudden the engine shuts off. And I realized the bow line had been snapped off of the, the uh, railing and now it's wrapped around the propeller and oh, my rudder. So God. now I don't have steering and I don't have a motor. And you're so, in 10 foot seas or something, right? Yeah. And I, yeah, it's like 15 foot swells. Aye, aye, aye. And, and I'm off the, the coast of, or off the beach of Venice. So and right between Venice pier and Santa Monica pier. So I don't have a ton of time to mess with this, but I also am not in danger of going to shore anytime soon. So I wasn't going to be on YouTube. And so <laughs> I do a, coast guard call and I just give them a pawn pawn, tell them that, you know, I, I need help. I'm stuck. And, and I'm trying to get the rope out of the rudder. And so meanwhile, the, the rope pops off the coast guard and I are talking and because it's a Monday, everybody's bored. So I get Baywatch, the sheriff department, coast guard, a helicopter. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to be on the fucking news tonight oh, because no. of my stupidity and all my friends are going to ever going to let me live this down. And so Thank God the news helicopters didn't come out. Oh, so boy. I get the sails back up enough so I can, you know, kind of move around and I still, I have no engine, but now I have steering back. So now I can get away from the beach and the coast guard pulls up and I said, you know, uh, I, uh, I've got the rope wrapped around the prop and, uh, and I'm fine. I just need to get into the breakwater. And so they're arranging sea tow to meet me in the breakwater. And the, the coast guard was probably about 75 feet away from me. And he said, you know, do you want, are you, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, you had my life jacket on. I said, I'm going to sail at the breakwater. And at the very last second, I'm going to turn in. And, and that way, if anything happens, I have some time to, to get into the breakwater. So I don't want to, you know, so don't, don't panic. I'm going to sail right at the rocks at the last second. And I'm going to turn in. So I get about maybe a hundred yards from the breakwater and I get hit by a side swell and it takes the boat and it tips the mast about 10 feet from the water. Jesus. And I'm, I'm hanging on trying to pull myself back up to the helm so I can steer it back into the breakwater and I can see the coast guard mouth. Oh fuck. Uh, oh no. <laughs> and, and, and we get into the, to the breakwater and sea tow comes in there and it's so windy that it took two sea tow boats, one on each side of me to pull me in, to go around the corner um, and get me back into the slip. And then we had a diver come out and, and take the rope off in about 10 seconds. But, you know, just one, it, that was my own stupidity. Wow. You know, it wasn't something that, and, and I didn't get charged uh, any, a salvage fee. I think it was 75 bucks because he was already in the breakwater and he literally had to put his coffee down and go 10 feet. No, I mean, the, the whole salvage thing, it's because you're sitting on ground. Yep. That's of so any crazy. kind of any kind, like you could have just hit a tiny little sandbar in the middle of the water. They call that a salvage. And it's just like a loophole in the law that allows them to be assholes. It's I think I'd crazy. heard of this before. Like th this is like a big scam in the uh, Caribbean too. 
Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's literally, it's an old like maritime, like pirate law almost, you know? And yeah, there's, there's uh, a bunch of those. <laughs> it's crazy though. And I, I mean, again, I couldn't believe it, but like you said, my own stupidity and, you know, uh, I don't know what I would do different though. Like people always tell me, oh, you stay in the open water if there's a storm. Yeah, when you're seeing lightning hit, you know, the water like, 20 feet from your boat or whatever tell me you want to stay there i didn't want to stay there i wanted to i was afraid for people's lives on my boat so i didn't know what to do i think you did the right thing i've been on a lake and and a lightning strike hit i don't know a couple thousand feet away from me on the water and i still felt it so Uh, these were all around us this was a typical tiny little florida you know micro storms yeah yeah yeah, it was crazy. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's awesome. The, the whole, uh, the whole boating thing and having some way to relax, especially when this shit is all so stressful and, uh, uh, you know, business is as weird as it is right now, obviously. So, yeah. you know, what, what are your thoughts on, um, well, first, before I go there, I want to talk about the, your business and how it's impacted your business. Obviously, you know, Backstage is, is more of a labor company, right? For productions. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I guess the, the term that we were given by the Germans is we're a production agency. So we we're you know, permitting, we're tour management, we're production management, you know, and, and really kind of weekend warriors. Like I do a lot of fill in production management for other production managers. Like I'll go fly out and and help with their artists and then come back home. Right. Um, and, and then on the corporate side, you know, they'll have us do all full, everything from, you know, procuring audio lighting and video to labor and then also site safety and, you know, a little bit of everything. So, um, and that's, that's really, been shut down. I mean, the, the, the one saving grace is that because we have the permitting side, we started doing permitting for all of these outdoor fitness facilities and anybody that had to move outside. Oh, the, the, the rental companies that we used to work with kept giving us all this permit business. So I've probably done, I don't know, 300 permits since March of last year for <laughs> that's an interesting friends. little niche. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's not very fun and very sexy, but Who you know, the, you sit in your house and you, you, you send emails out for a couple hours and it pays pretty well. So, yeah, you get paid. Um, and, and that was already established. I mean, we, you know, backstage productions, we own meter bags. We're the only ones I think in the state that owns their own meter bags that are approved by the DOT in California so that they have the little solar panel and we lock them. So in, in California, if, if, you take the the no parking sign, which is like a little cardboard sign and, and put it in your trunk. You can park there and they can't tell you because there was no sign. So <laughs> when people close the streets down, you know, this is a huge problem. So with our meter bags, they lock over the meter and then you can't park there. And then we can tell you, and I've towed lots and lots of cars because people park there and clients love it. And, uh, and we've, we've been getting a lot more business just from that. So that was already established pre COVID and we just kind of kept going with it and um, have had one virtual live event thing that we did and it was great. And um, you know, as far as backstage productions, that that's kind of it. I mean, it's, it's not been, 
Well, there's obviously not a lot of big productions going on right now. So not a lot of need for for labor and and production management and all of those things that you're talking about. And it's funny because like I've been getting calls for projects in Miami. I've got three on the books for that are tentative for uh, June, July, and August, three different ones, two different clients. And I mean, these guys are are pretty certain they're going to be able to pull it off. And I'm like, I hope so. I mean, it's literally an entirely different world here, you know, and, and when we do our, our weekly Zoom call on Wednesdays, it, it becomes quite apparent how different it is. And I know I sound braggy and I sound like I'm being a dick when I talk to people about it, but it's just the truth. You know, I mean, life is relatively normal here. No, there are no concerts, but you can go to a nightclub and watch a band. Uh, yeah, you know, you can go to outdoor or indoor. Uh, you know, you can go to bars, you can go to restaurants, even strip clubs are open here. You know, I mean, bowling alleys, movie theaters, pretty much everything is open. I don't know of any business that's closed because they have to be. I, I can't tell you of a single one. So, and you know, Universal and Disney are open there too, right? They are, yeah, and have been most of the time. I mean, I think they reopened in uh, uh, like August or something july yeah, I mean, universal and, and disney have been closed since last march and they're thinking that sometime in march or, or april they'll open here yeah but with like reservation only but i mean think about that that's that's a year that's insane of- that is insane that's completely can you imagine what that number is i i can't i can't but in you know and disney headquarters is now moving a bunch of stuff out of la back to florida um, because wow. uh, I'm just, you know, it's, it's like everybody, you know, if you own a big business, uh, not to get off track here, but you know, like Elon, you know, he had fought with the state multiple times about the lockdown and about all these different things and he'd had enough and, yeah. you know, he's moving his corporation to Texas. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's huge. Obviously when big companies like that start moving and he isn't the only one, I mean, there's a lot nope. of companies moving, uh, or opening new uh, headquarters in in Texas and stuff. So, and the same thing's happening with Florida from New York. You know, from New York, not only uh, people but businesses are picking up out of New York and moving to uh, to Florida. And oh, so, yeah. Palm Beach County is is you know being uh, completely infiltrated by New Yorkers right now. New York people and New York businesses as well, which is fine. I don't I don't care. You know, if we've got room for people, bring them. Uh, you know, it's going to raise housing prices and stuff, which I guess is good if, if you're trying to sell, but, um, but yeah, and I don't blame them. I don't blame any of them because, you know, I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't be living in California if I had to put up with that for a year. There's no way we did it here for about a month and I was going stir crazy in a month. So I, you know, when I hear like last night, I think it was Chris Asen said on the zoom call you know, I haven't been at a bar since February. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I haven't either. Like, I mean, you know, I got finally got to go to my first restaurant in L.A. Um, two weeks ago for breakfast. And it was like just weird. Like, you know, you're, you're you've got these plastic shields around you. And yeah, you know, there, there's only like four tables or used to be 30. Yeah, I mean, not here. <laughs> not here yeah. you know every table's open every seat's open every restaurant's open it's like restaurants are full you know they're not even doing wow. every second booth or anything like that anymore they were in the beginning but uh no i, I mean 
guess what? You know, I don't want to get political, but you know, it's a different philosophy that says, Hey, if we save our businesses, you know, our people need to be protected. The ones that need to be protected need to be protected. The rest of us need to try and sustain the, the, um, the economy and keep businesses yeah. alive because, you know, the last thing you want is to go into a full blown recession or depression because of this. And I think we were teetering on that. I think this country was definitely teetering on that and maybe even the globe, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, to, to me, I, I think there still is a little bit, I mean, I, I don't know not to keep getting off track, but I, you know, I hope that this is, is, coming to an end. I, you know, I, I have my own opinions of when the end date is and yeah. it's, it doesn't usually align with everybody else's. Cause I think that's, you know, a little bit longer than we all well, remember. I'm the day 90 guy. So yeah. Or day 91. Yeah, that's true. Day 91. I mean, I'm, I'm the 2022 guy right now because yeah. I think that, you know, and I don't want to be, I, I yeah. really don't. I, I, I just, I, I hope that things are different, but you know, well, um, I'm going to, I'm going to put this out there and, and, you know, again, probably get punched in the face with it. But I think that by Q3 of this year, things in our industry are going to be so insanely busy that, you know, there's not going to be enough gear. There's not going to be enough people. You know, I just think that, you know, the floodgates are going to hit us Q3, Q4 this year yep, I in a too. really, really big way. So, uh, And I, I think that's why I'm using time to do a lot of preparing yeah. because I, I, you know, there are other businesses that I'm now venturing into that yeah. I have invested substantial amount of money into. Yeah. 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 I want to talk about that, this aerials yeah. thing. Uh, so, you know, first, did it start as a hobby? Did you have a drone and just went, Hey, these are cool. And you flew it around when you had nothing better to do. So my, uh, my addiction to remote controlled things started when I was a kid, I had remote controlled cars and then uh, I think I was probably 13 or 14 and I got introduced to Cox models. Remember those they had, you could buy, oh, the I, gas I was going plane. a totally different direction with that. Yeah, when you no, said COX. that at 13, you got introduced to Cox. I was like, Whoa, yeah, geez, no, dude, no, no. I'm C sorry. <laughs> the, the little gas powered airplanes <laughs> with the, the string. Yeah. I remember those where you spun around in circles yeah. and got so dizzy. You wanted to die. Yep. And then, and then when I got older, I got, uh, the, the remote control, uh, electric airplane that used every battery in your parents' house, including the TV remote, which my father still reminds me yeah, of. Yeah. And, uh, we would dogfight them. We would, you know, we weren't very good pilots. So trying to hit each other was a challenge in itself. But <laughs> once we did, you know, um, so, so I, I had an interest in remote control planes. And then when I started, uh, sailing, I would buy these drones because I kept seeing, seeing these amazing sailing videos and these epic drone shots. And I'm like, I got to do that. Yeah. And I would go to Fry's electronics and I'd buy these $80 drones and you know, I, I would, I wouldn't fly them at my house. I'd bring them to the boat and just thinking that, Oh, this is, you know, this is how hard could this be? Yeah. And I probably donated five drones to the Pacific ocean in my, my learning curve. <laughs> yeah. They're reefs. They're artificial reefs. That's, that's yeah. what they're, yeah. <laughs> and then realize that, uh, I need to spend some money and get a real drone. And so I, I bought a DJI drone and uh, I gosh, it was maybe 12 months ago and brought it out on the sailboat once again for the very first time, not flying. I flew it once in my driveway and I'm like, I got this. And 
took off and got the epic drone shot I've been waiting for and then realized that the wind had picked up and now this tiny little drone stuck in the wind and I'm in the sailboat. I'm in a 45 foot sailboat trying yeah. to, to get my drone back, but also sail the boat and we're under sail. So aye, aye, aye. the long story short is, is that I had to bring the sailboat to the drone. So we kept circling to get closer and we'd lower it down and my buddy would run up on the bow and he'd try and reach for it and we'd have to go back around and we did it twice. And I, I'm looking at the battery and we got it back and I was hooked and then COVID hit and, uh, I started flying drones more with my free time and realized that there were some pretty cool things you could do with it and, and uh, um, upgraded to a, a, a Phantom 4 and um, started studying like crazy and took my 107 pilot test and got that and uh, started doing real estate. And I, I shot a bunch of real estate videos and um it wasn't really my thing because real estate agents are kind of shitheads anyway. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to, you know, not to dog any real estate agent, but you know, there, there was, <laughs> you just, just dogged them all. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. But they're just there, you know, they're like looking down at you, like you are the lowest scum of the earth and yeah. you work for them. And, and they were just rude and nasty. And, and so, but what it did do is it got me to get some piloting skills that I needed. Plus, I hadn't used any kind of video editing program since Final Cut Pro 1 yeah. back in the 90s. Yeah. So I started watching YouTube videos and like people go to the gym, I had a, a, a regiment, which is I'd go to the RC park every day for Monday through Wednesday from 7 a.m. until 10 or 11 a.m. And then I'd come back and watch YouTube videos and edit the video that I shot that day. And I just did that over and over and over again. And I still, I, like I was out at the RC park this morning flying. Wow. Um, and then I, I got a call from uh, live nation and, and it had said that, you know, I've got drones if you guys ever need them. And they were like, yes, um, but you need to have $10 million of liability insurance and you will be our preferred vendor for, uh, for drones in LA. And I said, I'll give me an hour. I'll, I'll call you back and talk to the insurance agent and got the $10 million policy after they emptied my wallet out. Yeah. And, um, and then realized that they were about to give me some pretty major projects. So um, this is where it turned from a hobby into a business is that I, I decided that, you know, I'm going to take the, the little money that I have left and, and invest it and turn this into a, a full blown business. And, and, you know, I had already incorporated and it was a business, but, um, I spent, you were dabbling. 000, yeah. Dabbling. And, yeah. and now I'm, now I'm full into it. And I spent 15 grand on a cinema drone and, um, and got everything that you would need. And just because I wanted the quality to be there. I mean, the whole thing with, with, from the time I started my production company, whoops, of course, All good. Um, back in uh, uh, 1988 was I never wanted to cut corners. I always wanted to, to spend a little extra money, make a little less, but give the product, you know, give the client the best product. And so I did that. And, and, and so instead of shooting it with a Phantom 4, we shot it with a 35 millimeter camera on an Inspire 2 we had a separate camera operator and the footage turned out phenomenal and they loved it. And we started doing a bunch of stuff for live nation. And, you know, one of the other things, as you know, that I'm 
probably a little bit more of a narcissist on is self-promotion. And, and <laughs> I, I did nothing but just every day I would fly. If I, I got a new drone, like I did two days ago, I post it and I'm constantly beating into the fact that I have drones yeah. into everybody's head. And that goes LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, personal Instagram, business Instagram. Like there's good for I'm, you, man. That's constant contact. Honestly, when I first got into the LED business in 2003 or whatever, I was doing the same thing and I just became known as the LED guy, right? Like, uh, you know, now there's, you can get LEDs anywhere, but at the time you couldn't. And so whenever I was at a racetrack or something, people would come up to me and go, Hey, aren't you the LED guy? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm known as the drone guy. Like my, my friends are calling me up like, Hey, uh, you know, congratulations on your pivot. Um, you know, I haven't worked and I'm thinking about getting a drone and I'm like, you call me up and I, I'll, I'll, this goes out to anybody like email me, call me, I'll walk you through it. There's plenty of room and this, this industry is in its infancy. I mean, yeah, yeah it's it is just starting right now. Yeah. I agree with you. So when so, you say you're doing shows for live event or uh, live nation, what, what kind of shows, like what kind of stuff are so you doing? The, the first one was a, a drive-in, um, or drive-through experience for Latinx and it was sponsored by Hyundai. So they, Hyundai had a bunch of like art cars that people had painted by hand. And then they had sort of a little drive through. It was really cool. Um, and you, it was in the back lot of one of live nations properties and people would drive, they would register, they would go in. And what Hyundai and live nation wanted was they wanted the experience for you know, uh, a drone to, to kind of drive through the, the whole thing. And then they wanted a bunch of aerial shots and they wanted the front of the palladium and they wanted all these kinds of like really cool, you know, variants from day to night. And so we shot for two days straight. Um, and I think we shot, uh, maybe 20 hours worth of footage. Wow. Um, and they loved it. And then the next one we did was a drive in there. Um, and we've done projects for T-Mobile, Red Bull. Um, and then I got asked to do Justin Bieber's New Year's Eve concert, which was like just crazy to think that, you know, how fast everything had transpired and how. No shit. Cause you, yeah. you just said like you bought your first one a year ago. That was just yeah, a hobby at the, that point. The, the first real drone before that I was flying these little baby ones that, you know, you buy on right. Amazon. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I mean, it, and, and the, the whole thing came down to, I had, I, I knew that, that I wasn't going to be back to work as a production manager. So in my head, I treated this like, this was my only thing I need to do. I need to, to work out my brain and to work out my flying skills. And, you know, and I still stick to that regiment. So I, I have a very, I want to make sure that I'm current and I, I want to make sure that I have that muscle memory. Cause you know, with between the wind and all the other things that you have going on while you're flying drones, especially when you're, you know, not flying over people, but around people. Right. Um, you know, and even we have, I've gotten waivers to fly over people and it's, you know, it's, it's a whole different thing with these big, the bigger cinematic drones. It's, it's like a flying lawnmower and it'll do some very serious damage if you hit somebody. So, right. um, That's but yeah, scary. and, and doing, but doing Bieber was like, I mean, I, I remember, the day before we're setting up and, you know, I'm kind of looking at everything and I had done some site surveys and, and it was, you know, it was, I was really excited. And then the, the day of the shoot, 
everything just became a blur. Like, I don't remember much of anything because it was just, we were so focused and I was like, I can't believe we're flying around Justin Bieber right now with a drone. <laughs> you weren't like the, you weren't the main camera feed or anything, were you? No, we, so uh, they had, I want to say eight or nine cameras and we were the T-Mobile live feed. So oh. if you had a T-Mobile device, you could watch the drone footage full time or you could flip back between it's kind of like choose your, you know, like your, your really camera cool. view in the, in the, the NASCAR. Yeah. Um, and then if you watched it on pay-per-view, they would bump us when they would do like a wide shot or something. You know, we, we, because they had two jibs and, and a lot of pyro and lasers, we had to be really careful. And that was one of the things we, we choreographed between the pyro company and the laser company was like, where do the lasers go? And, and, you know, and I had a, a, a visual observer and sort of a PA behind me that would, she would tell me the pyro is coming up in five seconds or in 30 seconds. So you need to go up or need to go left. So it was, it was really planned well because, you know, the, if the laser hits the camera, the camera smoked. I mean, right. you know, so we had to watch out for that. And then obviously the pyro and the drones don't like each other. So, so did you have to come down for, for battery changes or whatever? Or? Oh yeah. Every, every two minutes or I mean, every two songs, we, we, the big drone with the wind, cause it was pretty windy on new year's Eve. So we were, we were making it about 16 to 17 minutes. And so I had another pilot that was flying a different drone of mine. So he would be up in the air for two songs and I would be up in the air for two songs. So we never lost coverage. So we, and we were all on radio and we're all choreographing like air traffic control, like, okay, I'm going to come in. I'm going to fly right behind you. Don't move. Got it. And we'd land and okay, I'm going to come in. I'm going to go out. I'm going to go left. You go right. Cool. Wow. And it was, uh, but it went off without a hitch and it was really like, you know, um, it was, it was kind of the moment I knew that we had something and I knew I had a great team and I knew that, that this was going to be a, a sounds like it, man. a business that was going to be sustained for quite a while. So when you're doing shows for, for somebody like live nation and T-Mobile and stuff, you're probably not doing much of the editing. You're just providing them raw footage, right? Uh, for live nation, I did. Well, that was editing. a live feed, wasn't it? Uh, nope. The, the Red Bull is a live feed. Uh, Bieber was a live feed. Um, but we also record it. So we have archive and we send, we give it to the client, but, right. uh, for live nation, I, I was doing the editing as well, which takes me a little bit longer, but got it done. Yeah. Interesting. And so I'm guessing, like, I don't want to ask you how much a, a show like that Bieber thing pays, but you know, it's real money, right? Like it's, it's, you know, yeah, I yeah. Was, <laughs> I was like, you know, if I, if I could do about, you know, six of these or eight of these a year, be happy. That, yeah. <laughs> Well, which like, leads me to another question. So, you know, do you plan on unpivoting or do you plan on trying to keep both or, or you haven't thought that far ahead yet? I have thought that far ahead. Um, so now, uh, fast forward to today, uh, I think total drones, I have like nine, nine drones and i looking at buying a 10th one, which is a roughly about a hundred thousand dollar investment because it's- Yikes it's a cinema drone and it's going to have uh, either a red or Alexa mini underneath it. Jesus. But I mean, I, I've, I've bought my own, uh, a van, like it looks like a little mini van, but it's a cargo van because I got tired of, of, you know, scratching my car up and beating the crap out of it and right. trying to put drones in the back of my SUV. So 
um, I'm, I'm fully vested as a, as an aerial company. So what I've been doing is I've been bringing other pilots on projects with me just to get them used to how I work and then see how they fly. And, um, and I have, you know, other people that work with me on the production side. So I'm a, I have the ability to always have somebody that was, you know, from with me from day one of backstage productions, you know, as an agency that could go out and been and work with uh, a drone pilot and be their operator or, or their camera operator or their observer. Right. And then I could go do production management or I could be the pilot and somebody else could go fill in my production management gig. So that's what I'm really taking the next two months to really build and make solid because you're right. I think everybody's going to get caught off guard and I don't want to be that person. I want to have a plan so that yeah, as much as I can and with the comfort level that I have say yes to almost every job that would come my way. Yeah. You know, as long as it's not, you know, five jobs in one day, but if it's two, I want to be able to do the drones and I want to be able to do the, the, the production management. And I think a lot of it's going to start overlapping where people are, are that I've flown drones. We've gone to the backstage production site because uh, my emails for both, they kind of link to each other. And people are like, Oh, I didn't know you did permits or I didn't know you, you could do production management. So right. yeah, it's, it's a little bit of free advertisement as well. <laughs> yeah. But it, it just sounds like you're trying to position yourself where you can kind of, as they say, work on the business instead of in the business so that you can continue to scale the business while also scaling your other business. And yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's the, the name of the game is making it something where it is scalable, where it's right. not just you. Yeah. No, it's, it's cool. I, I'm, uh, I'm very impressed with what you've been able to do in less than a year on that. And I'm sure there's a lot of startup drone companies, but obviously the big advantage that someone like you or I has is that we're in the business and we know lots of people. And so you just kind of reach out to your Rolodex first and foremost and go, Hey, I've got drones. And that's, that's a hundred percent what it is. And they trust you from the other stuff that you've done with them. So they're like, okay, let's, let's call Patrick. He can do it. Yeah. And I actually just had one of my event clients that I've worked for, for, or worked with for the last 10 years. They just called me up uh, two weeks ago and they're like, Hey, we need uh, a drone to film this guy on a bicycle in somewhere in downtown LA. Can you do that? And I said, yeah, here's where I can legally film. And, and they're, and I'm like, no problem. And they were, uh, they were like, great. Um, and you know, I said, well, who's all going to be there? And I'll be like, well, it's just going to be you and the bike rider. <laughs> and, and I said, well, you know, usually, you know, I'd like the client to be there and you or you're somebody there so they can tell me what they want. And they're like, no, we trust you. And so, you know, that's a double edged sword though. Yeah. They don't, they, <laughs> but they, it, it was, it was kind of like, you know, it's, I kept calling them and telling them the shots and sending them some, some phone videos just so they could see. And they're like, this is amazing. And, and, you know, I, I, I keep reading stories about people that have, you know, and watching YouTube videos of people that have mortgaged their house and gotten trucks and multiple drones and then they're bankrupt or whatever. And it comes down to like anything in business, it's, it's who, you know, but it's also, there's gotta be a hustle. I'm not probably the best pilot in the world, yeah. but what I do know is I had, I know how to organize it so that everything runs smoothly, that we're on time, that we give the client what they want and more. And, and well, you also have, you have the one thing that, that the best pilot in the world probably doesn't have, which is clients. <laughs> you yeah. know, you have, you have a Rolodex, you've, you've got a, a network. 
Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. So, um, what's your what's your next big gig with that? Like, do you have anything scheduled so coming we, up? That's we huge? have we have indie films right now, and we've got a reality show that we're pitching. So I'm I'm now having to make a sizzle reel of some of the highlight drone footage that I have. Um, and the 12 shows that you've done, you're, you're cutting into, uh, a sizzle reel. Yeah. Well, actually there's, there's more than that. Um, uh, cause I, I have one that I, I found some footage from red alert oh, and okay. I had forgotten that I had flown the drones through the cauldron at the LA Coliseum where the flame was. I mean, I was literally like eight feet from the flame and it looked amazing. Yeah. I remember you got some really cool stuff out of that. Yeah. So there's, so I got some of that and, uh, and just some, some random landscape, like every once in a while, if I'm out going out for a drive, I'll bring the drone. Like we went to big Sur uh, last year and I brought the drones with, and I I think I spent like a whole day just flying and getting footage. Cause I've also uh, sent some B roll up and put it on like Shutterstock and, and gotten paid for that. Like I, I went to Palm Springs and for two days and filmed nothing but windmills and desert and was filming a windmill and this massive, massive freight train came through and I literally flew above him and just sat there with the drone. And I've sold that mm, six or eight times now. Jesus. That's cool. Good for you. There's a lot of different ways to make money and live entertainment's not one of them or not just the only thing. I mean, there's people that are doing surveys and line inspections and I've got, Lots of friends, but, um, you know, to, to anybody that's wanting to buy a, a smaller drone, you still can make money. You just got to get your, your license from it and you've got a business. Yeah. But you know, the other thing is I'm sure you're being creative in, in how to scale the business as far as like, I would offer a, um, I would offer a school, you know, I, I would create a small school that you run once a quarter or something and have people come through that school to be employed. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of those schools and, and that might be something that I'll do at a later date. I mean, I, I, I have um, a drone attorney who, he, funny enough, he's in, I think West Palm beach. Um, and we've talked about doing some training just because there's a lot of stuff out there. It's mainly to get your 107 license. Right. And then there's a lot about flying, but there's not a lot about how to run the business. And, and I can see that being a rabbit hole. I may want to go down, but right now I'm, I'm so focused on just building what I have. No, and, but I'm, and- t- I'm talking about just creating a, an influx of great employees. So, oh, you yeah, know, yeah. of, of like, just like, let's say you teach six people every quarter or whatever, you have a a class for six or eight guys and out of every one of those classes, your goal is to hire two people and they know that. And so, you know, maybe the class is free. Maybe the class costs a little bit of money so that they, they're at least getting a bit of an education on it. And, uh, that's a great idea. And then you hire two people out of each class and, uh, you know, God, you could create a friggin' reality show out of that, you know, uh, becoming a drone pilot, you know? So I did do uh, something similar to that. I started a meetup for drones just so I could actually have like a farm league version Good. of future pilots. Yeah, no, that's the idea, right? Is Yeah, is- I mean, because I, it, it's, you know, drone pilots are like like LDs. Like they all are, are friendly, but they also really hold everything close to their chest and they don't really want to talk about what projects they're working on. And, and so finding new drone pilots that will come and work with you under your name and your company umbrella 
it's like a, a kind of a pride thing for them. And I totally get it. Um, well, it's I come ego. From school. It's ego. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. I come from the school of like, there's enough work for everybody. So let's work together. Yeah. And these guys tend to not like that idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's people who are looking to, to build a job, not a business. You know, yeah. you're building a business, they're building a job. And Very uh, true. yeah, yeah. You know, when you're building a business, you don't worry about the one guy who might take work from you. You, you know, you're pretty focused on what you're doing. And uh, I just thought it'd be really cool to have a farm league, like to be building a farm league where, you know, those guys and those guys that you hire get put out on the, on the shows, the real estate uh, <laughs> drone things. And, the, yeah. you know, they don't get put on, on Justin Bieber. They, they get put on, uh, they work their way up. But, yeah, and, and, but and, you know, a, a kid coming out of high school could go through your class, have the right attitude, and you could go, man, you know, the kid's a shitty pilot, but I can really see a lot of promise in this kid. And you get him carrying friggin' bags and unloading vans and stuff for a little while, and he's a drone pilot before you know I, it. I'll tell you that the kids are, are unbelievable drone pilots because they play video games. Like, yeah, so, yeah. I've recently gotten into FPV, which is first person view. Yeah. And I did that mainly because I, I, I wanted to challenge myself because, you know, you can, when you have a, a GPS drone, like a DJI drone, it levels itself. So you can like, you can put the controller down on the ground and have a sip of water and it'll just sit there and hover. Yeah. And the FPV drones will crash. Oh. And so, and, and I want to, you know, I really do want to perfect this craft and I want to become a better pilot and I want to be able to, to fly FPV eventually uh, professionally because um, that's a whole different cinematic view. You know, these drones, these little FPV drones will go 80 to 90, well, actually 80 to 120 miles an hour. I mean, they're yeah. cr crazy fast. And, and so that's what I spend my, my days flying in and the picture that I posted on, Facebook the other day of the the drone with the green propellers. That's my brand new FPV drone. I have two of them now. What's and the purpose of those things then? They're, they're just really fast. Like all the, the YouTube videos where you'll see somebody fly along a cliff and then they'll drop down or, or the, the Miami video where the guy's flying around the skyscrapers and then he's diving and then he comes up and goes over the bay. That's all an FPV drone. And, and the difference is, is that, there's no GPS on it and it, and it's built for speed. It, you know, they started yeah, like out a as sport drone sort of. Yeah. yeah. So you have a little mini camera where you wear goggles, you know, like Oculus goggles. So you're, you're seeing it as the pilot would see it, not yeah. as like the, the camera sees it. Right. And then you put a GoPro on top and, and uh, away you go. And, and it's, it's really fun. It's super hard though. I mean, I'm still, learning and they have, I, I like, they have flight simulators that, uh, that everybody's using. And I, I fly a flight simulator like for an hour a day. And then I go out to the RC park and fly for two or three hours. And, um, so it, it's, it's a huge learning curve because I also have to get my brain kind of re, uh, to relearn the controls because the FPV drones fly way differently than the big, you know, cinematic drones. They're yeah. a lot more challenging. Yeah. You know, my son, my son, Jeremy, you know, he drives race cars, so he's a, a bit of a knucklehead, but he, <laughs> I got him a, a Mavic pro, whatever yeah. DJI Mavic pro, and he flies it really well, but he thinks of it as a race drone, you know? So he puts it in sport mode, the fastest it'll go, which isn't that fast. 
And his video is always shit. It's always really jumpy because he just, the stick, he's he's going full speed. He's not paying much attention to the quality of the video. It's all about the flying for him. Yeah. And he gets really bored of it really quickly too. So, you know, like my son would be one of the ones that would do the racing drones. Like he'd love that. But, uh, uh, yeah. but the, the, you know, because I always said, like when I got it for him, it's probably three years ago, and he was really good at it right away. And I said, dude, there could be a job in this. And he's like, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> you know, he, he just, it's not interesting enough. It's not fast enough, I guess. I don't know. Dummy. Yeah. I mean, there, there was, there was a guy at the RC park that I saw that was flying and I'm like, do you have your 107? And he goes, no, nah, I don't want it. It's just for a hobby. I'm like, realize you can make a lot of money the way you fly. Yeah. Like this kid was flying along a bike path that nobody could see. And he was probably six inches from the ground and he flew it for maybe a quarter of a mile. That's, and that's Jeremy. That's Jeremy. It, I mean, he goes under just, bridges, like little tiny bridges, like golf cart bridges, you know, yeah. he goes under those and through trees and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, I mean, he's, and he never does the like automatic landing thing that I do, you know, take it home, just yeah. hit the home button. Uh, he, he flies it and lands it like in the back of my pickup truck or something, you know, he's just a, he's, that's who he is. Right. And I, I still think like if you were here, I'd get him to go work for you for free and, and just learn how to fly them properly and help you out at the same time. But you're yeah. in California and I'm not flying him over to you. So there, <laughs> no problem. But, uh, but yeah, cause I think he'd be really good. He's just one of those weird kids. Like when he picked up his first RC car remote, you know, for the real pro RC cars, he, the way he holds the remote is really bizarre. Like he, it's almost backwards. Like he, he grabs the controls from above. It's really oh, wow. weird how he does it. And everyone looks at him and goes, dude, are you retarded? Like, that's not how you hold it. <laughs> and then watch him drive. Like, you know, for me, it still takes me forever when a car is coming towards me to figure out which way's left or right, you know, cause your brain's yeah. thinking turn that way. And for him, it's just like, no problem. He's got it down. Right. So I don't know. I think he's missing an opportunity, but try and explain that to him. I can't. Well, I, you know, it, it's everybody sees it differently and it's not for everybody just like this business isn't, but um, there's, you know, I think my advice is that because it's such a new industry that, you know, if you, if you like flying even a little bit, you'd be crazy not to go get, you know, your 107 and, and just start learning because I mean, I've, I, I have a major corporation that had called me and asked me to come and, and speak with them. And, and we have this meeting, I guess, in two weeks and they want to start a drone program. And so they're looking for people that not only have, flying experience, but also have a more well-rounded resume. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Huh. And so, um, you know, we'll see what happens there, but you know, they, they've got a whole plan that they want to do with drones. They haven't told me yet. And I haven't seen the, the, the plan. Well, I think that's a huge advantage for you. Uh, the fact that you come from the industry, I think is a massive advantage for you because I think, you know, 90% of all drone companies have no experience in live events or in television or in whatever, and you've got all of them. So, yeah. you know, I, th I think that's a massive uh, advantage that you've got over probably most of your competitors. Like oh, I think that, yeah, the, the transition was a little bit easier also because, you know, one of the things we had was redundancy and we had 
safety black backups and contingencies and operating procedures and all the stuff that the FAA uh, likes to go check on. And so to me, the paperwork and the, 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 the business side of it wasn't such a, a massive obstacle, but I've worked with some other companies that on the same site, especially, you know, some of these drone shows and I look at them and I'm just like, Holy crap. Like, you know, some of the stuff is, is really cool. And some of it is really dangerous what they do. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that, um, you know, definitely having that, that touring background has saved my ass more than once yeah. just from the, from a planning stage of, you know, tour managers and production managers always kind of have that gloom and doom plan in their head of what if. And yeah. I think that my what ifs are, are pretty substantial on the, um, as far as my checklist goes. Yeah. Now I, I love what you're doing and, and I gotta be honest, I'm just happy you're not doing some sort of a backstage XR stage or something, you know, back XR stage. Oh yeah. I'm so sick of freaking virtual events and XR stages and studios. And I, you know, I know it's a thing that's going to stick around and it's a big deal now, but for me, I don't get any energy or enthusiasm from, from a virtual event. It just does nothing for me. No, I mean, you know, and I don't know what the numbers were for Bieber. I know they were pretty huge. Um, yeah. That was because it was the first time he played live in seven years. Well, so and that's was, also was, Bieber. You know, it's always yeah. going to work for Bieber or U2 or the Rolling Stones or Madonna yeah. or whatever. But when you get into the, you know, the, the B and C acts, I don't know that there's much money to be made there. I just don't there see There was, um, I'm not going to say the name, but I've, I've seen a couple of virtual events of artists that I would recognize and they had like 6,000 people watching. And I was like, Holy crap. Yeah. Like, you know, and I don't know, I don't know how they're monetizing it. And I know that everybody wants to keep current and, you know, people are trying to drop records right now in this time, but it's, it's just like, you know, yeah, I don't know. I, would, I, th- I think there's a merged uh, opportunity and, and actually I don't know if you've ever talked to him about it, but Brant Nelms has something um, it's called like campfire or something, but I don't know how much I can talk about it. Cause I don't know how much he's got it, uh, patented or whatever at this point, but he's, he's got a pretty cool thing that merges live events and virtual events, uh, in a very, very simple way that makes a lot of sense if he can ever get it off the ground. And, um, uh, you know, that I liked most of this stuff. I don't like it just, I don't know. That's just yeah. me. Maybe I'm just old. You know, if I'm going to go to a I concert, that, I'm going to go to a concert. Yeah. I, I'm interested to see the future of concerts and, and how we're going to transition. And like, are we going to stream every concert live so that there's another revenue source or, or are we going to just hope to God that people come out to shows and, and not leave their house? You know, I'm really interested to see how that, that turns out. Um, Cause I don't think people are going to have the money for a while to, to go see concerts. I mean, see, they're going I disagree to with you. I disagree with you on that. I think people have more money now for some reason than they did before. You know, remember other than our industry, most are working, you know, other than our industry. Yeah, that's true. People have money for concert tickets and they probably have like housing markets are, are at records right now. Uh, all the expensive buys, you know, luxury buys, luxury cars, real super high-end cars are killing it right now. Um, high-end guitars, uh, high-end audio systems, 
it's it's all doing really well. All the big high end appliances. Try yep. try going and buying, you know, uh, Viking or Wolf or, or Sub Zero. They'll tell you there's a back order on it. You know, it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy the money that's being spent right now. People have money, so I, I wouldn't. I'm not worried about. I'm more worried about all the sort of the the other parts. Like I think selling tickets. I think people are going to buy tickets. Um, it's getting Live Nation comfortable to be selling tickets on a national level. Like I 100%. think first we're going to start seeing some events. I think in Florida we'll probably see some summer festivals and stuff. Um, that's a given. I, I just think it's absolutely going to happen. We're going to see some June and July festivals, even though summer in Florida sucks ass, but um, we're going to see some stuff and probably in some other states as well. But, you know, putting a tour together with 11 or 12 guys on a bus and all of the things and then getting the liability protection for Live Nation and all that stuff is where it gets really complicated still. Yeah, I I, I definitely agree. I mean, I think that, you know, I know Live Nation is is got some some deadlines that or some. I guess markers that they have to hit. And I, I think the first one's in May and the second one is in July financially. And if they don't, you know, I think there's going to be another wave of, of relooking at the business structure. Um, yeah. What I've been told. And, and, you know, this is a subject that I it could go on and on and on forever. I mean, the long and the short of it is, is that I hope that there's a point where we go, we've got to start getting people back in the seats and, 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 you know, if the NFL can do it and NASCAR can do it and, you know, you've got churches having people that are attending, then the restrictions have to lighten up across the board. You just have yep. to. Yep. Well, and it's not just NFL and, and NASCAR either. Like, you know, you're starting to, I mean, a lot of hockey arenas are putting five, six, seven thousand people in them. Uh, soccer is starting to have fans. You know, I don't know about baseball because I'm not a baseball fan, so I really haven't been paying attention. But you know, uh, and even just things like really large restaurants or bars or whatever, you're starting to see more and more people gathering in the same place and it's not bumping up these crazy numbers. You know, to yeah. me, I've always been a firm believer that the numbers are the numbers are the numbers. You know, there's not much we can do to change this. You cannot keep people indoors in their own house with no visitors forever. You just can't do that. It's not going to work, not in a country this size. So maybe no. that works in, in New Zealand, but that doesn't work in the United States of America. Yeah, that's my belief anyway. Well, I, like I said, I, I think that, you know, relatively soon they've got to do some samples and they got to take a risk. And, and I don't know if the insurance companies are, are going to be ready to take that risk in the next three months, I hope. Yeah. But, you know, and, and I don't want to get into the whole liability waiver thing or any of that, but, um, what's well, got to happen. I, it's part of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't know any way other around it. I mean, you know, unless you're going to make everybody sign a hold harmless agreement as they walk into a venue. <laughs> well, you can do that and they can still sue and, you know, you're going to have lawyers lined up for class action suits and stuff. But again, like you said earlier, why is the NFL able to do it? Why is NASCAR able to do it? 
You know, why is uh, the UFC starting to have fans? Why is, why can everybody do it except for freaking concerts? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what I wonder. And then the, the other thing is trade shows and stuff. I see those coming back. Like the problem I think for trade shows is a very different problem because I think what, what has happened here, there's a lot of good that's come from all of this. And I was actually talking to somebody about it earlier today. I had a really good conversation because he's buying property right now in Costa Rica. He's got a place already in Park City, Utah, and now he's buying a place in Costa Rica. And he said, you know, way too late in my life, I finally came to the realization that I can do my business from anywhere. Why should I be sitting in wherever, in Chicago or in some cold, shitty place with loads of traffic? You know, why don't I go someplace where I want to be? And he said, uh, we talked about it. And, and, you know, that's one thing that COVID has done really, really well is taught businesses how to operate a little more decentralized, a lot more decentralized, maybe not fully remote, but maybe several small locations instead of one big location. And then you can I, choose the small location you want to go to. You know, I, I think that's a great point. Like right before COVID, we had bounced around the idea of getting a WeWork space for backstage productions and just so we were more centrally located and everybody could meet and we'd have like an office and post COVID, I think my mentality is this, and which is why I would, I don't want to ever open a, or own a drone show company is if, if I can't keep the inventory that I, I need in my house, I'm not interested because I, you know, I've been lucky that I, I have been working on my house for the last five years. So yeah. I don't have an office and that saved my ass. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, and, similar, and, similar for me. You know, I yeah, have a I, building, but, but it actually sat empty for two and a half years. It had a couple of race cars in it. Um, but it sat empty for two and a half years. And I finally just rented it out a few months ago. Cause I was like, what the hell am I doing? You know, I'm holding this office in case I ever decide to hire a bunch of employees to work out of an office building again, but I'm never going to do that. So, yeah. you know, I've, I've rented it out and, and, uh, um, you know, onward. But yeah, I think, you know, people have to be in a place where they feel productive and comfortable. And especially, you know, as business owners, we should be able to operate from wherever we want to operate from. And I think that that minimizes a lot of those expenses uh, as well, too. You know, you don't need a building, you don't need, uh, you know, a big internet system for that building and security and this and that and all the cleaning services and everything else. People let them work from where they are, you know. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, so I yeah. think in in that regard, I think, you know, when we come back from all of this, one of the things is I think companies are going to look really hard at trade show expenses because I think there's better ways to connect with your customers than at yep. trade shows. To me, trade shows are a 1995 thing. You know, it's it's not a 2021 thing. And I think COVID just drove that point home. Yeah. The only thing I I would say is, is that like, I, I love one of the trade shows I I like to go to is, is Cinegear, which is in LA. It's sort of like a a very small NAB. Yep. And I like to go there because I want to put my hands on the product and actually see it physically. Mm -hmm. So, so that's the only thing And like, I just saw where we got really excited was LA announced the auto show in November is going to happen. And you know, that got announced Friday and I was like, yes, finally. So yeah, there, I mean, obviously, you know, and, and also in 2022, we have the Super Bowl. Yeah. So 
you know, there's, there's some, some lights at the end of the tunnel, but yes, I think that trade shows that, that could be more uh, virtual are, are going to do that, or they're going to find a different way, or they're going to cut down the, the size. You know, I mean, I, I, I when I, I say trade shows food. too, I mean, I mean conferences, corporate meetings, yeah. all of those things. You know, like so, I think Las Vegas is going to be a different place than it was before. Yeah. Um, I think everyone's going to have to do things a little differently. To uh, you know, I think every business has to pivot to an extent because the world is a different place, and this just all this did was drag a big highlighter across it and say, look, you know, it's all changed. And uh, I mean, I think most of those changes are positive. Yeah. I I think that like the, not going to name one person that comes to mind, but we all know him that the, the guy that travels, you know, 300,000 miles every year um, and goes to see all of his clients and goes to every show. Mm -hmm. I think those days are done. I think that the companies have realized that, don't need to put them in an airplane. We can do a zoom call or we can do, you know, some sort of, you know, way to, to cut some expenses. And, and also, you know, the, the office spaces. I mean, I have friends that work in, you know, the, the regular jobs, the nine to five, and they're all working virtually from home. Yeah. And they're finding out that their office has now been downsized and they're going to be on rotating schedules. So one week at home, one week in the office, and you won't have a permanent desk and or a permanent cubicle or what yeah, Perfect. That's how it should and, be. And I, I think that the overspending and COVID have kind of opened everybody's eyes. I think but that it's not just money though. Like I think people are happier working from true. home and not having to commute two hours to an office or an hour and a half. Like you guys in LA are crazy. I would never live like that. I would never Which live. Which is why I work from my house. I would never live somewhere and drive two hours to work every morning and back at night. I wouldn't do it. I just no, could I, not I know do people that. that drive four hours to, to come work in LA not and a then fucking go back to chance. the Inland Empire. Not you a know? chance. I would not. I don't care. You could pay me all the money in the world. I wouldn't do that every day. There's, but there's, there's no but way. To the same argument, there's, there's people that are, are doing that and that live in outskirts uh, states and cities from New York and take the train in for two or three hours each day, each way. I, I wouldn't do that either. I mean, nope. I, I, like, I think that, yes. The, the working from home is great. I do miss the Delta Sky Club. I, it's yeah. one of my highlights of traveling. Well, and or the uh, Centurion, the American Express Centurion Lounge is the one that I used to like an awful lot. Yeah, but, they don't. Uh, they only have one in uh, a different terminal, not where Delta is, unfortunately. Why? Well, I, I don't know that I've ever been to an LA one, but there, there's some really, like Mexico City has a really nice one. There's some really nice ones in different yeah. parts of the world. We, but, we used one in Australia two years ago and it was really nice and it, it saved our butt because there was obviously no Delta Sky Club there. Yeah. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, it, but it was great. But yeah, I do miss those. But, but I'm traveling. I, I'm still going to those. Like I'm out of town next week. I'm, I'm going to be in three different cities next week. So, you know, I'm still traveling. Yeah. I mean, I, I've gone, I'm coming to Florida again in, in March and you know, the traveling thing to me, I'm not so worried about the airplane as I am worried about the airport. Like I'm really cautious in the airport, um, you know, especially flying from LA, that's an Atlanta stopover. And like I, I beeline it to the club and hand sanitizer and just kind of stay out of the way and, and just really am careful about the mask. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I'll, I'll travel and, and, and I'd literally do a gig anywhere in the world. If, if somebody called and said, we want you to go to Asia tomorrow, I'm on a plane and I'm gone. I'm like, yeah. there's, 
there's not hesitation for a second. I don't think many of our, our colleagues in the industry would hesitate either. I think they would all no, be I like, I don't think so. I think publicly they talk about not wanting to get on an airplane, but offer them a gig and see what they do. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. I would absolutely agree with you on that. So you're keeping busy, obviously it sounds like, which is good. Yes. And you haven't moved to Austin yet, which is good because they're freezing to death right now. So at least California. Yeah, I, has. I think everybody's either moving to Vegas, uh, Austin, or they move to Wyoming or Montana. That's the, the new hot spot from LA. Yeah. How much are the people in Wyoming and Montana hating that though? Well, if you talk to them, it's, it's the greatest thing in the world and there there's no neighbors or they've got this big lot. I'm like, no, LA people love it. But what I'm saying is if you have a little place in like you're a local in Wyoming or Montana oh and all these LA people are moving in, you're hating life right now. Oh yeah. 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 That's what I meant. Yeah. Well, the same thing happened up in Whistler where people from Southern California were moving up and buying places in Whistler. I remember my friend had a place there and he was like, this sucks. <laughs> you know, where are these people coming from? But it's just Aspen <laughs> got too expensive. So they went to Whistler. So yeah, but you know what? I mean, I don't blame them. Like, you know, I saw that Nikki six has a place in Wyoming, uh, just outside of Jackson hole. And, um, he loves it. Like he's always posting photos and videos of him snowmobiling with his kids. And, uh, yep. you know, he's, he's loving life out there and I totally don't blame him. I would just say, what took you so long? You know, I living in the hustle and bustle of LA. I don't know. I, I it's just not me. Well, Having been born in the Midwest and lived there for a long, long time, I'm deathly allergic to snow and cold weather. Yeah. I and get it. so, um, you know, I would love to, like, we all have this dream. I, I, not all, but, you know, we all have a dream of like kind of being in, you know, up in the, you know, up in the mountains in Tennessee or in the mountains of Wyoming or, or Western Canada. You know, yeah, it was something like that where you've got the long driveway, it's all gravel and there's, you know, you own six acres, no neighbors, and that's kind of your chill spot. But the reality is, is that then when you want to have that, that, you know, five-star dinner or the, uh, you know, you got to go to the grocery store. I got the um, best of both worlds. I, I uh, so my place is in a, a town called Canmore, Alberta. It's just outside of Banff, if you've ever been to Banff. And so you fly into Calgary. It's an hour and 15-minute drive from the airport. And I have unbelievable views out both sides of my house. I have the most killer location. And Canmore has some of my favorite restaurants. Like there are four or five restaurants in Canmore that I have no trouble eating at every single week that I'm there. I mean, they're just that good, you know? And so, um, and the grocery store's... I don't know, six minutes from my house, probably. Um, now, now, do you get hassled a lot by Jim Leahy for your lot fees? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not so much. Not so much. Well, I appreciate you taking some time to talk to me today. We talked about virtually nothing. I mean, we definitely did go through uh, backstage aerials, which I wanted to hear a little bit about because I know you've been killing it with that, and that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I had this idea yesterday. I haven't talked to Patrick in a while. Why don't we just record a podcast and I'll, I'll catch up with him. And so, yeah, it's been fun. Well, thank you for having me on again. And, um, 
hopefully I'll get to post some new videos of the, the drone footage um, in the next couple of days. And uh, yeah, that'd be great. You guys can all comment on my editing skills. Where, where do you post it? Do you post it on backstage aerials or is it? On yeah, it's Patrick on backstage Whelan? aerial. And then I, I have a YouTube page, but I think most of it's turned off right now because I have uh, some new stuff coming up. So I don't want to have the old videos up because I was watching one of them and they're pretty rough. There's still some things up there, but backstage aerial on YouTube. You got like has, your old, your old seventies porn stuff on there. Or yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. You don't, want that. <laughs> you don't want people having to sit through that nonsense. No, <laughs> well, no, but I actually have, I have, I have a really quick, funny story. So yes. many years ago or not many years ago, uh, four or five years ago, I was on a Delta flight and the quick version is I saw a fight on the, on the plane. Uh, we were flying from Minneapolis back to uh, LA. They turned the plane around and they kicked everybody or kicked the two people off that got in a fight. And one of the guys that was getting kicked off punched somebody sitting on the seat because there were some comments made yeah. and I caught it all on, on film. I, I was videoing. Oh, I it. remember that. Yeah. You got yes. like hundreds of thousands of views or something. So I have like 3.5 million views. Holy shit. I remember so that. I start, yeah. So, and I got, I, I, I got uh, approached by viral hog like the next morning. So I, I licensed the rights. And so I still get residual checks every month. Of oh, about that's cool. Bucks. That's so I've, cool. Made, I, I've made a good money, amount of money. I'm not going to say how much just in case the IRS listens, but um, but the point is, is that I had, uh, like, I don't know, 3000 subscribers. And so when I started backstage aerial up, I'm like, great, I got 3000 subscribers. I'm going to monetize my channel and start putting these videos up. So I, I go and I, I put everything in and, and, and switch the accounts and get it all ready. And YouTube sends me this thing back that says, I cannot monetize my account because it shows violence or fighting. Oh my God, you're kidding me. <laughs> and so I was like, crap. So I had to start a completely new YouTube channel, but I had in my dreams, I'm like, I got 1600 subscribers right now. If they click on the video once and watch the entire thing, I could put two commercial. I mean, like I did the math. I figured out I could probably make like 50 bucks every time they would, you know, every, every video I would post. Jesus. And um, because there was, uh, violence. Uh, I have to keep it on my personal YouTube page. They're such a freaking clown show, but they own the market. So what are you going to yeah. do? Right. No, you yeah, got to exactly. put up with but their anyway, silly so that's, rules. That's my, my one little last dumb story to tell you before we depart. Yeah, there, no, that's, that's that. a great story. I, I remember that video. That's funny as hell. Three and a half million views. That's insane. Yeah. Crazy. All right, Patrick, let's do this again someday. And, uh, and good luck with everything. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for having me on again. All right, buddy. Thanks, man. All right.
sweet, sweet thing.